Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 20th of November. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by Victoria State Chairman of the Citizens Party, Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, Albo and ScoMo, the bail-in Beagle Boys stealing your deposits, and Australia's physical economy is collapsing. Now, before we begin, uh, just a couple of announcements. What we cover in the Citizens Report is usually elaborated in more detail in the Citizens Party's weekly Australian Alert Service magazine. If you haven't received a free copy yet, you can call in and ask for one, all right, and we'll send you out a free copy so you can see what we're talking about. Um, so that's available for people to do that. The other thing is, I'm in a bit of a hurry today because after this I'm going to interview a dead set legend, a legendary investigative reporter named Lucy Commissar for the Citizens Party's Citizens Insight series, which is also on our YouTube channel which is an extended interview um, format of our show. And this is going to be on a bill that's, that is scheduled to be introduced in Parliament next week called the Magnitsky Act. And the interview will be about why that is such a dangerous bill and why it's based on a hoax. So um, I just wanted to mention that because you should look out for that when that's put up on our show next week. It's going to be essential viewing um, for something that's going to you know, push Australia ever further towards the, the danger of war. Um, that said, let's get into the, the main show today. Albo and ScoMo, the bail-in Beagle Boys stealing your deposits? Question mark. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because of Albo, not so much ScoMo. We expect, to, we expect ScoMo to do what he does, Jeremy. Yep. Um, he's, he is the, 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 uh, the arch protector of the banks in Australia. And in fact, uh, two years ago, Jeremy, you wrote a press, conference called, press release called Mr Caveat Emptor about mm -hmm. Scott Morrison because of you know, this, this aspect of him, right? He protects the banks at all costs. So the bail-in question that we're dealing with in Australia came in under his watch. He was the treasurer when the bail-in law was pushed through, and he's now the prime minister. We're trying to get that law amended so that the, the Banking Act amended so, so deposits can't be bailed in, and the Scott Morrison government is using all its power to try and stop us. However, this goes to the Senate on the 30th of November, and the Labor Party, if they voted for Senator Malcolm Roberts' bill, the Labor Party could reassure the whole of Australia that their deposits can't be bailed in. Right? That's simple. all they've got to do is vote for that bill. But they're telling everybody that they won't because they're accepting Scott Morrison's, what Scott Morrison says. So, so just first, why on earth would Labor side with the Morrison government on anything? Right, that tells you something, and unfortunately, when it comes to the banks, they do it too often. Um, but second, this is a this is a specific thing um, that they're that they're that they're siding with him over, which is actually very unreasonable, and I'll explain why. There's a there's a letter a Labor senator sent to a constituent, and the, the letter said this: that the Malcolm Roberts bill purports to address a problem which simply does not exist. So that's a line in a Labor Party senator's letter. Now, Jeremy, this is their number one claim, right? The bill yeah. is unnecessary because they claim, they have, they have a verbal assurance for the public that deposits can't be bailed in. Um, that's, that's according to APRA and the Reserve Bank. But we know that there are many experts who are very qualified, such as Dr Wilson Sire. He was a principal researcher of APRA. Uh, he should know, and he says that 
the excuse that the government's saying is that the financial claim scheme is there to protect your deposits is completely irrelevant. Exactly. Because bail-in happens before the bank collapses. Well, and and Dr. Sai should be enough because, he, like you said, he was the former principal researcher at APRA. What we did in a press release earlier this week is we, put, we singled out three, I shouldn't say singled out, we, we identified three Liberals who don't accept Scott Morrison's assurances. Liberals. One is Tim Wilson. Tim Wilson in June, in a letter, um, acknowledged the economic, that, that bail-in, quote, is a reflection of the economic reality and risk that comes with deposits. If people don't want to be exposed to this risk and they have other options such as buying um, precious minerals or holding non-deposited cash. So he's saying, yeah, you know, your, your deposits are in danger of bail-in. His own Prime Minister says it's not. He says it is. Nick Hossack, who was a top Liberal advisor to John Howard and Alexander Downer. John Howard was the Prime Minister. Downer was the, um, the Foreign Minister, right? Top Liberals. And he was, Nick Hossack was also from the Banking Association. When he made a submission to the inquiry... Um, that was held into Senator Malcolm Roberts' bill. He said, he said, Senator Roberts has identified uncertainty in the Banking Act 1959 over whether bank deposits can be written off or converted to equity. In other words, he, he had conceded there was uncertainty. Now, that guy actually advocates bail-in of deposits. He says, we should clarify the law to bail-in deposits. That proves that Liberals want deposits bailed in. But the most important thing is he, he, he agreed there was uncertainty. right? And that's the whole point that the Labor Party is disagreeing with. They, they're siding with Morrison saying, no, there's no uncertainty. That A former policy director of the Banking Association, top liberal, said there is. And finally, um, Dr John Hewson. Now, Dr John Hewson wasn't just any former Liberal Party leader. He was a banker, right? He is a banker. He knows banking. And he put out a tweet on the 19th of July. He said, Parliament should endorse the Banking Amendment Deposits Bill to explicitly rule out the possibility of a bail-in where authorities would allow banks to convert your deposits to shares in a banking crisis should be a no-brainer for any government, right? So that's what, li li these are Liberals that are not taking Scott Morrison's assurances. So why is the Labor Party, right? When all, there's nothing in it for Labor to protect the Morrison government on this unless they are in on the bail-in policy. The only reason not to pass Senator Malcolm Roberts' bill is because you want to reserve the, the, the possibility of a bail-in. You want to have that option. Because right now, there is nothing in the law that says um, uh, deposits cannot be bailed in. Nothing. There's, 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 there's language in the law that says things like, um, you, know, uh, or, you know, deposits are protected, deposits have preference, etc., there's the financial claim scheme, but, but as we've gone through that, none of that applies. There is nothing that, what Malcolm Roberts' bill does is explicitly put in there, deposits can't be bailed in. And if that language is explicitly put in there, deposits won't be able to be bailed in ever. And the only reason to oppose that is if you want to reserve the right sometime in the future in, a cer in certain emergency conditions to have a bail-in. Now, why would they do that? Well, hell, both of, these both of these parties have been in government when they've signed up to G20 um, commitments to the Financial Stability Board to support bail-in. That's why, right? And so what we need people to do, the, the, the debate is scheduled for the 30th of November. This is so that to basically a week and two days from now. We have one week to keep hitting these politicians, especially Labor politicians. So call your Labor senators, call all your senators, frankly, but especially your Labor ones. Call Stephen Jones, the Assistant Treasurer, as we talked about last week. Also call... Anthony Albanese and Richard Miles, the leader and deputy leader of Labor Party, will provide all their contact details on, on the screen 
under the show on YouTube and on our website. Call them this week, right? We have to force them out of this position so they stop covering for Morrison and the banks. They, they break it, they stop being one of the Beagle brothers to steal your deposits, Beagle boys to steal your deposits, and we can get this bill passed. All right, so those are the marching orders. Let's, let's fight really hard to the end to make this happen. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the state of the Australian economy, which is a result of the terrible banking system we have in part. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Australia's physical economy is collapsing. Now, we're going to go through a bunch of graphs now that Jeremy Beck has prepared on the state of the physical economy in Australia. But Jeremy, when we go through this, we want people to understand a certain sense of causality here, which both left and right of Australian politics is responsible for, right? Yeah. You've got the, the green fascism, as we call it, and the neoliberalism that's produced yeah. this. The, the free market think tanks uh, have this ideology that you just leave government out of the picture and just leave it up to market forces. Now, in reality, what does that do? Uh, we've lost industry such as just recently the automotive industry because we've always had this protection, tariff protection for, for our automotive industry. Every single nation in the world that yep. has an automotive industry has tariff protection. So if you take away those protections, you lose your industries. But there's some industries that are absolutely critical. You know, fuel, having oil refineries in your nation, if, if you lose that capacity to have that kind of essential uh, oil energy, uh, your nation can completely go under. Agriculture, numerous examples. So the, the free market think tanks, uh, leaving it up to the market forces just doesn't cut it. And of course you've got the, the eco-fascism, the pseudo-science, uh, shutting down agriculture that you're going to harm the, the ecosystems yep. or, or what have you, or, or the, uh, the Paris Agreement that somehow reducing our carbon footprint is, is going to save the world and change the world's climate. It's just shutting down the manufacturing. All right, well, let's go through these charts in an orderly way here, one at a time. The first one is Australian petrol production per capita. Why on earth would Australia not be producing its own petrol? Well, we used to, and it's very clear uh, it's a deliberate shutdown. We've seen numerous uh, refineries just close in recent years. The, the recent one in uh, Perth, Quinana, uh, BP's just announced the shutdown of that one. Uh, this, this is insane. This is a an essential uh, commodity that if yep. we don't have it, they, they have on these trucks that if, if uh, the trucks stop moving, yeah. you won't get your, your food or anything into the shops. And what are the trucks Trucks run on? Diesel. Uh, so Well, that brings us to the next one. <laughs> we'll put the diesel one up there, Australian diesel production per capita. Mm. Same problem. Exactly the same thing. And we used to have uh, not only the, the oil production, but the oil refinery capacity, and we're losing both of them. So... Not yeah. only are we not producing our own oil, such as in Bass Strait in the Northwest, uh, we're importing crude oil even, uh, but we're losing that refinery capacity as well. That, that leaves us very vulnerable as a nation. And also in the energy sphere, and this one is shocking, is Australian electricity consumption per capita. Mm, to, yeah. to have electricity consumption going down is crazy, but you've, you've usefully put in these um, uh, bubbles to sort of identify the different changing points. Well, you see a very steady trend rising of electricity consumption per capita all the way up to the, the period when the, uh, the whole emissions trading scheme uh, system or the, the, the carbon uh, squeeze on carbon pricing. Uh, so 
the, this is a, a complete insanity because it's not going to change the, the temperature of the planet one little bit, but it's constricting the very thing that industry needs is electricity. And having that collapse, uh, you compare that the rise upwards, even the, the recessions just have a tiny little impact yep. dropping. And then this huge plummet down the other side, it's worse than, than any of our recessions in the past. And isn't that the obvious reason for the rising electricity prices? Oh, exactly. Production has completely gone. Production per capita. You need production per capita and it's gone down. Mm. All right, so that's energy. And, of course, the reason for energy is not to be a be and end all. It's what you can do with it that matters. So let's go to actual production figures of different um, uh, areas of the economy here. Copper, refined copper per capita. Well, you can see uh, with copper, uh, we did have quite a, a good trend up until fairly recently, uh, about the year 2000, but since then it's plummeted. So... That actually is an example of, of one of the, the industries that has collapsed in the more recent years, whereas some of the other charts we'll be showing, the collapse period started much earlier. But the, the whole process of this, between the left wing and the right wing, the free market and the pseudoscience environmentalism, uh, the whole process has been ongoing for several decades. Some of the impacts haven't been felt until recently, such as copper, but it, it's already kicking in now for the last 20 years. And another one that, well, you tell me which one is more influenced by neoliberalism versus environmental. We're going to go through two more in this area now. One is, let's look at aluminium first, because I think aluminium is one that's definitely been smashed by environmental policies. Well, that's right, because aluminium re requires for its uh, production, it requires enormous amounts of electricity. Uh, and when you have expensive electricity, well... What are the aluminium producers going to say? Well, uh, well, we'll just we'll just leave, we'll shut down, and, and leave it to the free market, and we'll move elsewhere somewhere else, and and we'll uh, use the electricity from you know, some uh, nation which has coal-fired power stations. So yeah. it's not going to change the the uh, the CO2 Planet. emissions no, no. worldwide for producing the aluminium uh, unless they go to a country of nuclear power, which our nation refuses to do. Now, and let's look at steel production now, and this is this is. Also shocking, because you've got to think in terms of things like steel and aluminium and copper. They're in everything. We need them to have a modern industrial economy, a modern living standard. They're in everything, mm -hmm. right? Yet we have destroyed our own steel production capability. Before you comment, I just want to make a point that I, I spoke to a, um, uh, a mathematician who's a specialist in, in metals once about the closure of BHP in Newcastle in 2000 and he made he did these figures that showed how global steel production after BHP closed in in Newcastle in 2000 global steel consumption soared mm -hmm. right we at the time we shut down our best steel mill global steel consumption soared this makes no sense on any level oh exactly right well look you see with the, the chart on steel in Australia the, the collapse really hit quite early in the piece you know we, yeah. we're looking at it in the 1970s uh, and yeah Newcastle is a good example there but uh, overall Steel has, has got to be the most important metal uh, because it's required in just about everything. It's required for reinforced concrete, it's required in construction of dams, it's required in railways, it's required in just about everything we do. Uh, so if you're collapsing steel manufacturing, what, what you're doing is collapsing infrastructure and yep. the infrastructure deficit is just plainly obvious. And you're making yourself completely dependent on the, uh, the rest of the world. And um, just the, the sh short time we've got, we'll go through these quickly. On agriculture, these also speak for themselves. Look at the collapse in total farm area in Australia. Every Australian should find that very shocking. Well, absolutely, because we've got an increasing population. The world's population is increasing. There's more mouths to feed. 
Australia has enormous capacity to expand our agriculture and yet we're shutting it down. It makes no sense at all unless there's an overriding intention by certain vested interests yep. to restrict food supplies and there's a big uh, cartel and grain cartels yeah, and yep. various food cartels that, that do have those interests. And then we can see the same, we'll look at dairy cattle. Real, this is a serious plunge in dairy. And we've talked about the dairy. The dairy industry is one that's just been completely smashed by neoliberal deregulation, right? Well, the, the dairy farmers uh, in many cases are getting paid uh, less than the actual production costs of the milk. It, it makes no sense at all unless there's a deliberate effort to, to smash that uh, necessary food product. Yep. And then finally, the final graph you've made here is sheep and lamb production in Australia. So, so this is the country that rode on the sheep's back. Um, while, while you don't want an economy that's so dependent on riding on the sheep's back, I mean, my goodness, that collapse is stark. Well, that's, that's about the equivalent of going back to the, uh, the sheep flock that we had 100 years ago, which is absolutely insane. I mean, our population's increased a lot since then. So yep. I, I didn't do a per capita measure on, on that particular chart or, or even the, the dairy cattle. I just did the actual herd yep. number. So if I did a per capita, it'd even be worse. Uh, so that, that, that just shows a complete collapse in agriculture. And as you said, as you said, bear in mm -hmm. mind, this is in a world that, where the population is growing too, mm -hmm. that needs food. Mm -hmm. there's, there's like two billion people that are generally going hungry in one way or another. It's mm -hmm. very acute right now, world food shortages right now. Mm -hmm. We have this immense potential in this country and w this is what we've allowed to happen to our own productive capacity. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a break because we're going to contrast this after the break to what to an idea that could turn a lot of this around. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing Australia's physical economy is collapsing, and those charts we went through before the break are all in this latest uh, issue of the uh, Australian Alert Service, right? You can, you can see them there, so if you want to see them, get a copy of that. Um, now, Let's contrast that, Jeremy, because it doesn't have to be like this. Now, you know, if, if, if you and I had been in government for the last 30 years, of course it wouldn't have been, and Australia would have been run perfectly, and no one would ever have to complain about anything. But, but um, no, no, you don't have to be that utopian. You can just, it, it's so obvious how things could be done better. And we're going to play a video now, which we've compiled, based on an idea we've talked about in this show recently called Project Iron Boomerang, which is, this, which is an idea by a visionary Australian named Shane Condon. We've reduced it down to the concept down to a three minute video. Let's play it, and after that we're gonna talk about the potential that it can give us. Australia can become one of the 10 largest steel producers in the world within five years. I'm Glenn Isherwood of the Citizens Party. The project that will catapult Australia into the top 10 steel producing nations worldwide is called Project Iron Boomerang. First, you should know, Australia is today the number one exporter of iron ore in the world. We are also the second largest exporter of coal worldwide. Coking coal and iron ore are the top two ingredients for making steel. However, Australia is currently only number 27 worldwide in terms of steel production. Project Iron Boomerang is the brainchild of Shane Condon and East West Line Parks Proprietary Limited. It involves building a transcontinental railway between the coking coal mines of the Bowen Basin and the Pilbara iron ore mines. 
The new railway will carry iron ore to the east and coking coal to the west. This infrastructure linkage will support and fuel 10 blast furnaces, five on each coast. Each complex of five furnaces will have a capacity of 22 million tonnes for a total of 44 million tonnes per year. By locating the steel mills much closer to the source of the inputs than on the opposite end of an ocean, a 30% reduction in shipping costs will be achieved. Add to that economies of scale and state-of-the-art technology. Australian steel will be highly cost-effective. Compare this with our current situation. Look at this graph of Australian steel production per capita from 1946 to 2019. From 1950 to the 1970s, steel production increased 300%. Since then, Australia's steel production has almost collapsed back down to the level it was 65 years ago. This is what Project Iron Boomerang would reverse. What's more, here's a map of Australia's current rail system. As you can see, the addition of this new rail system will open up the interior of the continent for development. Project Iron Boomerang is one of the many great projects Australia needs to build. For example, the Citizens Party has identified 17 large water projects. As we have referenced in other videos, the Citizens Party recognises that if Australia is to build big infrastructure projects like these, we need a strong source of funding. That's why we have proposed a new national bank that could extend low interest, long-term credit for financing such projects. Please sign our petition to create a new national bank. For our own sake, and especially for the sake of your children and grandchildren, Australians need to think big. Our current economic catastrophe is the opportunity to do things we thought we couldn't do before. There's no time to waste. Sign the petition today and help spread the word. So Jeremy, that's the kind of thinking that seemingly has been lost in Australia. Except of course it's not. I mean, Shane Condon is there and pushing that idea. We've mm -hmm. put up, I'll point to people to other things we have on our YouTube page, such as Lance Endersby's videos. We've put them all up there. The great late um, uh, Australian engineer. But let's just look at the, at the Project Iron Boomerang, uh, Jeremy, contrasted to the steel production collapse we showed earlier. Mm -hmm. If we did Project Iron Boomerang and the other kind of projects we could do, what sort of steel quantities would we need? It's very clear that the infrastructure projects that we've put out for many, many years, in fact, we, we put out the New Citizen newspaper back in 2002 with the infrastructure road to recovery yep. and we reissued that in 2006. Uh, all those projects, we're talking about major dams, which will need to uh, reinforce concrete with steel, uh, railway lines all over the, the country, uh, bridges, numerous things in manufacturing. You've added it all up. We'll need that steel and a lot more. In fact, the world will need the steel. If we're going to uplift people out of poverty, uh, we're going to need huge amounts of steel. Uh, for example, the Three Gorges Dam contains 463,000 tonnes of steel. Now, Australia may not build a dam quite that big, but we will need many, many dams of yep. a large size, and collectively that will require several million tonnes of steel alone just for, for the reinforced concrete in those dams. 
uh, and then, then you're looking at the railway lines. If we're going to build a whole speed, uh, uh, high speed uh, rail network, there's the Professor Enders Jeremy, just hang rail. on. That's it for this week's episode of the Citizens Report for Channel 31. We're going to continue on YouTube. Go ahead, Jeremy. The, the ring rail that Professor Lance Endersby proposed in the Asian Express, combined with other rails all around Australia that we will need, uh, high speed rail preferably, uh, that will require several million tonnes of steel if we're going to do a proper job of it all. Uh, the bridges, you know, one, one big bridge would require a lot of steel. We're going to need lots and lots of just, just little yeah. bridges as yeah. well. That The whole country needs, we've got an infrastructure deficit. So yeah. uh, overall, mil, a million tonnes of steel would easily be going alone just for bridges. Uh, we, we've got the mechanical equipment manufactured products. Uh, if we're going to gear up our manufacturing, that will need steel. So overall, uh, not just Australia, the whole world needs steel. You're looking at worldwide, China produced 996.3 million tonnes of crude steel in 2019. That's, that's nearly a, a billion tonnes of steel for one year. Now, you look at China's amazing uh, rise uh, to lift nearly a billion people out of poverty. If we're going to lift the Africans and, and all the other countries yeah, around yeah. the world uh, where poverty is a huge problem and we're going to uplift them and build up their infrastructure, we're going to need a billion tonnes of steel worldwide, at least yep. probably two billion tonnes of steel if we're going to lift people out of poverty to a decent living standard that most people in the West have. So that's, that's a very important point because we're not just talking about here's the world existing steel consumption that we can contribute more towards in an efficient way, mm. which Project Iron Boomerang will do. But world steel consumption has to go up because a living standard is not measured in paper dollars and currency. It's measured in the, the, the quality of your infrastructure, the quality of your, your food supply, right? Those, that's what a living standard is and that's what the, the whole world needs. And so here's Australia. We've got all this potential. We've got our own infrastructure deficit to make up. We've got the whole world needing it. We can and should be doing these sort of things. This is a sort of approach that will re-industrialise re Australia, turn around this physical economic collapse we talked about. Anyway, Jeremy, that was excellent. Thank you very much for joining this week's Citizens Report. Thanks to the viewers for tuning in and look for the um, uh, details for contacting politicians below and tune in next week for more. Thanks, Robbie.